You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for your word. God, and we thank you that even um, with all the different views out there and all the different narratives that we talked about last week and, and all the stuff that we're bombarded with on a daily basis that we have your sure word that we can rest on, Lord. It's, it's awesome to know. And Lord, as we um, open it today and look in there and, and see some of these awesome questions that you've answered so clearly for us that, that it would impact us, Lord. It would change us and that we'd leave um, recognizing your supremacy. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all you've done and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week I talked a little bit about the different narratives that are floating around in our culture and that we're being discipled by on a daily basis. And the average person in the average category watches um, like four or five hours of television every day. Now, I know some of you are like, well, that's not me, and, and, and I'm glad that's not you, and that's a different sermon for another time. Um, but that means four or five hours a day, the average person is being discipled by these false narratives, and then I've got 30 minutes a week to be like, this is the real story, right? And so, so that's a task for us. Um, and so what I wanted to do today is, I, this text, it's so awesome. It's one of the most Christocentric texts in all the Bible. So it just really lifts up Jesus for us. And so I'm going to be here two weeks because it's so um, important that we grasp this. But this week, I want to look at two opposing worldviews. So last week, some of you had, um, were very interested in, the, in these false narratives and things like that. And, and some of you asked me questions after the service. And I think this will really help you. But when you think of life's ultimate questions... Um, Sometimes they're articulated differently, um, but they're all basically the same. Who am I? Why am I here? What is wrong with the world? Right? Everybody recognizes there's something wrong with the world. And lastly, how can it be fixed? Or can it even be fixed? Right? And so those are the basic questions. And you've maybe never articulated it that way, but I guarantee you've thought about it. And they're questions that all of us should know the answers to. And and when we when we dive into these questions in our culture today, you've got two opposing worldviews, basic two opposing worldviews. And the first is Christian theism, and that's what we believe. The second, it would be um, what I'll call is secular humanism. Okay, so Christian theism is this. They see the world with God as the center. He is the creator and sustainer. He has revealed himself to us through general and special revelation. That's, that's our worldview. That's how we look at the world. So when we see something on the news that happens, and we're, we're, we're a little bit frazzled by it or worried by it. We have the worldview to look through and we see that event and we say God's in control. God's still in control. He's still on his throne. That's our worldview. Now the secular humanist worldview sees the world as man as the center. So the world revolves around man. It's all about man. And most of the time they claim God doesn't exist. But some of them do, believe it or not, say, yeah, there's a God. But he doesn't have any significance in our day-to-day lives. And so if you really want to sum it up. One worldview says God is the center. And if you get God out of the center, nothing's going to make sense. And the whole world's going to be messed up and these questions are going to be wacky. But the other view um, says, no, man is the center. And and you've got to keep man at the center of everything and it's all about man. And so we're going to look at those two worldviews today and answer those four questions from those two worldviews. Now I'm going to quickly walk through the secular worldview and then we're going to go into what the Bible says in Colossians 1. And so, first of all, let's look at that question, who am I? Who am I? Now, a secular humanist, again, which you can, you can categorize it or label it with a lot of different ways. But this is basically how they would answer this question. 
Um, and, and I'm a little bit, being a little bit um, crude, I guess, but it's, it's really true. Um, basically, you're a miscarriage of nature. Um, you're an accident. You're the result of the random evolutionary process. Um, you have no significance, really. Um, you're nothing more than a glorified monkey who happened to lose all his hair and keep evolving, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what they believe, and they would probably say it a little bit more sophisticated than that. But you have no more value in this worldview than that annoying raccoon that keeps digging into your trash each week, right? Like, that's, that's what they believe. We're just all random. We came from this pool of amoebas, and, and here we are. And so who am I from the secular worldview is you're just an accident, really. So next, why am I here? Well, again, since you're an accident, there's really no reason for you to be here. They don't really have a purpose for living, so this is what they would say. Consume and enjoy. Consume and enjoy. You're here. You're an accident. There's no purpose for you being here. You're going to die. You're going to cease to exist. So just live it up while you're here. Enjoy life. Consume and enjoy. That's why you're here. Well, really, you're not here for any reason. But since you're here, do that. That's their answer. Next, what is wrong with the world? Now, when you study this, you're going to get a range of different answers because they don't really have any foundation for their answer. But, but one preacher who studied this in detail explained it this way, and it was very helpful. I'm just going to read the quote for you. He said, if you ask proponents of secular humanism what is wrong with the world, the answer is very simple. People are either insufficiently educated or insufficiently governed. That's what's wrong with the world. People either don't know enough or they're not being watched enough. Okay, so if you're saying, well, what does that mean? Let's go to the next question. Um, how can it be fixed? This would be their answer. How can we fix what's wrong with the world? We need to educate people and we need to govern people. Okay, so, so racism, racism is a problem. So let's offer anti-hate classes and then let's put laws in place to stop the racism. Right, that's their answer. Um, murder rates are on the rise. So let's educate people. Don't kill people. That's bad. And then let's put a bunch of laws in place so that they can't kill people. Okay, that's, that's their solution. Um, teen pregnancy and STD rates are going up. Let's have classes on safe sex, and then let's make laws available for if they do mess up, they can just kill the baby. Okay, and so do you see where this is going? Uh, education and government. Education and government. That's the solution. That's what will fix the problems of our world. But the truth of the matter is, what we talked about last week, man is born sinful. Man is born depraved, so educating him and governing him will only make him more sophisticated in his depravity. Okay, so if you tell him that murder is bad, then he's going to come up with more sophisticated ways to murder so that it doesn't seem so bad. If you tell him you can't do this, then he's going to find loopholes so that he can do this. I mean, all of us do that with just basic speed limit laws, right? Well, you know, it's 55, but... I can go 59, right? Like 59 is not really breaking the law or anything, right? Like we're always looking for loopholes because we're evil. And so the answer to the world's problems is not educate and govern. That will not work. And we've seen that it hasn't worked, but that's their answer. So who are you from the secular worldview? You're an accident. You're the random result of evolution. Why are you here? You don't have a reason for being here, so consume and enjoy. What's wrong with the world? People need to be educated and governed. How can we fix it? Education and government. That's their answers to the world's biggest questions. Now, if, if you're like me, when you heard those, you don't like those answers, right? Like, that leaves you wanting. And, and if you think about it for a minute, the, the first two answers to those questions, who am I and why am I here? You're an accident. You don't have any purpose. You wonder why the world is in the direction it's heading. You wonder why. And, and I know it's terrible. That school shooting was terrible. 
But if you educate people for 20, 30 years that they're just an accident and that they have no more significance than the raccoon that's in your trash, they don't have any care for human life. You wonder why the shootings are taking place. You wonder why the abortions are on the rise. You wonder why it seems like our world is going out of control. It's because they're being educated that you are you're just an accident. You have no reason for existing. So just live it up. Enjoy. And we've seen some very, very severe problems come up out of this worldview. And so what I want to do now is answer those questions from God's word give you an anchor, give you a foundation, give you a a stronghold that you can say this is what God's word says and hopefully help you going forward try to strengthen your Christian worldview. I want you to be able to look at the world through the lens of God's word and be able to make decisions with a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview. The Bible says that that we should be renewing our mind. We're, We're transformed by the renewing of our mind and that happens by just being saturated in scripture. And just getting in God's word and it'll affect our worldview. So, let's look through these questions now. At Colossians chapter 1. I mean, first look at the question, who am I? And we'll start in verse 15. It says, who, and that's talking about Jesus. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now you're probably thinking, well, how does this explain who I am? It's talking about Jesus. But that's the point. Like before you know who you are, before you understand who you are, you've got to have a firm understanding of who Jesus is. Okay? So it says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That means he is the exact representation of God. He's the carbon copy. He's he's God in the flesh for us to look at. Okay, so when we look at Jesus, we see God. All right, it says he's the firstborn of every creature. That doesn't mean he was born first from a from a chronological standpoint. It more means he's first in rank. Okay, he's preeminent. And to give you an example, um, in, in the Old Testament, God said that Israel was his firstborn. Now they weren't the firstborn of all times, but what he's saying is I'm, I'm giving them the rights and privileges of a firstborn. He later says, I'm going to make David my firstborn. Now, David wasn't the firstborn chronologically. It's talking about rights and privileges. And the reason I say that is because Jehovah's Witnesses will take this little verse and they'll say, oh, Jesus was created. He's not God. But then it's like, well, what about the next verse where it says all things were created by him, right? Like that, you kind of need to be God to do that. But, but that's why I got into that. And we'll get into that more next week. But Jesus, you've got to get this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. And and that's what we're doing this year, looking unto Jesus. And and once we get through Colossians, we're going to go through John and and really get a beautiful picture of Jesus and know who God is. It's incredible. But then it says this, that all things were made by him. So here's where we get to who I am. All things. What does that mean? That means you. That means me. And in, in, in case you didn't know, um, he lists it out for us. He says, all things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were made by him and for him. Okay, and so again, to remind you, um, the secular humanist says you're the result of a random evolutionary process, but God's words here says that you were created by God and you were created for God. And this really brings us back to Genesis chapter 1, where it says we were made in the image of God. And it's incredible to think that Jesus was the one who made us, right? How, how often do you think, when you think of in the beginning, God, 
you kind of think of like Father God, right? Like making it all. But this tells us Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh was creating everything. So he was the, the one who created. And um, in Psalm 8, 5, it tells us that we are the crowning glory of God's creation. So, so everything was created by God, but mankind was on a different level. Mankind was made in the image of God, um, the crowning glory of God. And then if you go to Psalm 139, it says you were literally weaved or knit together in your mother's womb that you're made fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, so, so now, now it's like, whoa, wait. So I'm not just made by God, but God was very specific when he made me. God was very instrumental when he put me together. And this is, this is just completely opposite of what this over here is saying. Oh, you're just a random accident. And over here it's saying, no, no, no. God, the creator of the universe who made all of this, knits you together in your mother's womb. So, so the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you have were made by God himself. How incredible is that to think about? So look, I don't know the, the circumstances of your birth. I don't know if your parents joke and say you were an accident. But I can assure you today, you are not an accident. God knits you together in your mother's womb. So if, if you're tall or if you're short today, you are made by God. If you're beautiful or some people think you're not so beautiful, you're beautiful in God's eyes. He made you that way. The gifts, the talents, the abilities, the things that you have were given to you by God. And, and that really shapes the way we look at this world and we think, Wow, I am made by God with talents and abilities for God. This is incredible. And this brings us to our next question. Who am I next? Why am I here? Why am I here? Well, that text answers it for us again. But remember, let's just remember our culture says consume and enjoy. Okay, that's what they say. You don't really have a purpose, so consume and enjoy. But let's look at verse 16 again. For by him, that's Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Okay, so this tells us why we're here. We're made for him. All right, in verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Okay, so that is really what we titled the whole series. But this is where we get into the supremacy of Jesus. So, you were made by God, special gifts, talents, abilities that he gave you, and you were made for God that he would be preeminent, that he would be lifted up, that he would be glorified. Okay, so, so that's what we have to get to. Who am I? I am a, a, the crowning glory of God's creation. Why do I exist? To bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. That's why you exist. Christian or non-Christian, atheist or theist, all people were made for his glory. All right? And, and so again, this changes things. Because now I do have purpose. Now there is a reason I'm here. Even when it seems like in the, in the normal day-to-day -day drag of life, going to work and paying the bills and all that stuff, we should rest and remember once in a while, God made me. And he put me here for a purpose, and I have a job to accomplish for his glory. And that's awesome. I don't know about you, but that motivates me to want to live for him. Look, we are here to lift up Jesus Christ, and that's why I say we exist 
to spread a passion for the supremacy of Jesus. So we are just grasped by the fact that Jesus ought to be lifted up in everything because he made me and he made me for him. And and we should spread that to others so that they can understand they were made by God and that they were made for God and that, that Jesus is supreme. And when he's supreme, things start to make sense. Now I understand why I am the way I am, the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God has given me. There's a reason for this. I understand why I'm here in Port Austin. Now that's really cool to think about because the Bible talks about him being sovereign over where we live. Now now that's really cool. So that means your neighbors, your unsaved neighbors are there and God may be using you to reach them for his glory. To share with them the awesomeness that God loved them so much that he sent Jesus to die for their sins. That might be your task. Those neighbors that are some five, ten feet away from you. You know, think about this. There's people all over the world that are Christians that have family members in other parts of the world that are praying on a daily basis for those family members to become Christian. Now I want you to think about the fact that maybe that unsaved neighbor down the street is someone who has some Christians on the other side of the world or other side of the country that are begging God, God, send someone to share the gospel with them. God, send someone to share with them that they can be reconciled to God. And maybe God is preparing you to be able to share with them the love of Jesus. And that starts with just getting to know them. Get to know their story. Invite them over for dinner. Right? Remember, it doesn't have to be weird. Right? You don't have to invite them over and then when they come in, anoint them with olive oil and open the Bible. Right? Like, it doesn't have to be weird. People, people get this idea that evangelism is creepy and weird. But remember, it can start with just getting to know someone and saying, hey, eventually get to the point where, hey, can I tell you how Jesus has transformed my life? Can I tell you that I I have purpose in my life because of Jesus? And all of a sudden doors are opening and you can share God's word. Okay, so who am I? I am the crowning glory of God's creation. Why am I here to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ? And then next, what is wrong with the world? Again, this is something that at least the secular humanist recognizes, right? At least they understand this. Um, and, And what they would say is, again, education and government. Right? That's, that's what they would say. Um, but let's look at our text in verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. This is, this is awesome. So when God, when Jesus came to this world, the, all the fullness of God was dwelling inside that body. So God, who made everything, is now part of that creation. God, who spoke everything into existence, is now walking among us. The God who made everything is tired and hungry and, 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 and is, is, is being suffering through this world. It's, it's incredible and mind-boggling. We're going to get into this more next week. But it says, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, in verse 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross... By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, that were sometime alienated alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Now this is where we got to stop. Okay? And you. What is wrong with the world? You. Me and you, right? Everybody. So Paul is saying, look, and you. Okay? And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. So if we back up, we were created by God, his, his crown, the crowning glory of his creation. We were created for him to bring honor and glory to Jesus. So what's wrong with the world? The problem is we're born with this sin nature 
that I talk about all the time that was passed down from Adam. And so we're born alien, alienated. Man, I'm having trouble with that word today. Alienated. And, and we're born um, enemies in our mind towards God. So we're born into the, this world hostile towards God. That's why when we do try to share our faith, sometimes it is tough because they're hostile towards God. They don't want God to exist. They don't want someone telling them what to do. Okay? And so that's what's wrong with the world. The, the, what's wrong with the world is the sin that all of us are born with and the fact that we're all separated from God, alienated from God, enemies of God because of our sin. We were born dead. We were born objects of God's wrath. We were born bent towards these evil desires and constantly wanting to do them. That was the problem. And that's what's wrong with the world. See, this is where we get into um, a lot of the questions that pop up when we look into these ultimate questions. I'll give you an example. People ask this question a lot. And and if you um, are a pastor and you ever decide to become a pastor, be prepared for this question, okay? If God is all good and all powerful, then why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? That's all the time. (laughs) All the time I get this. But there's a major problem with that question. And here's what it is. It makes God responsible for carrying out what we in our feeble minds think is good and right. So it says, well, I think that's wrong, and I think it's wrong that God didn't do something about it. Well, why don't you pause for a minute and remember that he's God. Okay, let's get this really quick. He's God, you're not. Right? He's God, you're not. He's the creator, you're creation. You have no say in anything that takes place on this world. So if we phrase the question like that and we remember who God is, okay, look, I, I, I'm going to get to it. I know you're, you're like, I, I kind of want to know what the answer is, but let's, let's get the question right. And the real question is this, how can a good and loving and just and holy and righteous God know exactly what I thought and did and acted on yesterday and not kill me in my sleep last night? Amen. That's a better question to ask. See, these people that are walking around so arrogant and puffed up and prideful saying that God can't be all good and all powerful because he's allowing this to happen don't recognize that he's perfectly loving and just and righteous and he has every right to consume all of us. But instead, he has permitted certain things to take place. He's allowed us to have some responsibility and for there to be um, things that happen, effects that happen because of the choices he's given us. So if I decide to go do something stupid, many times he's going to allow that to happen. Okay? And and that might be to teach me. But when those things happen, we shouldn't blame God. When bad things happen, we shouldn't blame God. What we should do is recognize his love and his patience and his his awesome, just long-suffering with us. And that he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for our sins and that he's not consuming all of us and he's not stopping all the bad things from happening right now because one day everybody's going to stand before him and he's keeping track. Okay, so the evil things that happen in the world, rest assured, God knows about it. He sees it. He's watching it. And one day that will be judged. But right now in his patience and in his love, he's allowing people to come to Jesus by faith and be reconciled to him. And in the process, bad things are taking place. But, but he's allowing people to come to Jesus and be saved and reconciled to God. So what is wrong with the world? It's our sin. Our sin is what's wrong with the world. So how can it be fixed? How can it be fixed? That's the, that's the last question in verse 21. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Okay, that's where we stopped last time. Like, oh, that's bad, right? Thankfully, there's that yet. So many times through the scriptures, there's a yet. 
or a but, or the nevertheless, or a therefore. And he says this, Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Think about that. Hostile towards God, objects of his wrath, bent towards sin. But in love, he decided to reconcile us, to make us unblameable, to make us unreprovable, to, to, to declare us righteous before him. Not on the basis of our own works, but on what his son, Jesus Christ, accomplished for us on the cross. Incredible. He goes on, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So that's where all of this happens, the hope of the gospel. Which ye have heard, and which I was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So what he's saying is, how can it be fixed? Well, first, what's wrong with the world? Enemies of God, sin, wickedness, hostile towards God. How can it be fixed? God, in his love, sent Jesus to this world. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live. Perfectly fulfilled the law. Perfectly obeyed on our behalf. And then was crushed on the cross, bearing our sin. So that God, in his love, could reconcile us back to him. It's the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ that can make this problem fixed. In 1 Peter 3.18 it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Remember, if we go back to the beginning, we were made by him, we were made for him. What's the problem? The problem is sin separates us. How can it be fixed? Jesus comes, reconciles us back to God. We, we have our, 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 our uh, fallen nature, the, the goggles that are on our eyes, the scales fall off, and we can see clearly that, that we are created by God and for God. And, and now we realize that we can be reconciled to God, and suddenly we realize that, that we have a purpose in this world. In Isaiah 53, 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. God took our sins and put them on Jesus. Incredible to think about. Look, every religion in the world tries to answer this question. How can it be fixed? Well, here's how it can be fixed. Basically, let me just summarize it for you. Every religion besides Christianity says you need to have a religious experience, and then you need to try to do really, really good, and then hopefully when you die, your good things will outweigh your bad things, and you'll make it in. That's every religion basically summed up, okay, besides Christianity. Christianity says, no, there's no possible way for you to be good. And by the way, if you do have a religious experience, that doesn't wipe away all the sin that you did before that. Okay, that's what the the other religions seem to forget about. What about that sin in the past? If I go out and murder someone, I can't tell the judge, hey, I'll clean sidewalks and and rake lawns for the rest of my life to pay for that. No, you still murdered someone and that has to be paid for. Okay, so this religious experience, first of all, you can't be good. And secondly, how do you wipe away all the bad? The bad is still there. Even if you are good, the bad is still there. What happens to the bad? It has to be punished if God is just. Every religion in the world says, have a religious experience, do good, and hopefully you can make it in. Christianity says, you can't be good. You could never be good. That's why Jesus died for your sins. And all who receive him with repentance and faith 
can be reconciled to God. And when I stand before God one day, he will allow me into heaven, not because I'm a preacher, not because I try to do good, not because I try to love my wife, not for any of that, because the righteousness of Jesus Christ was placed on me when I put my faith in him. He took the dirty rags of sin off my back and he put the righteousness of Jesus on me and God said, He is justified. I declare him righteous and no one can say anything about it because my son was crushed in his place. That's how this problem can be fixed. Jesus dying for the sins of the whole world and that's why we are passionate about spreading this message to everyone we come in contact with. So they can know why they're here. They can know who they are. They can know what the problems are. And they can know how it can be fixed. Through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Beaten, bloody, broken, and crushed for us. To bring us to God. Incredible. And and now when you think about all of this and you bring it all home. What does this look like in day-to-day life? Well, let's look at a few different examples quickly and then we'll close. If we look, first of all, at college, okay, how do most people choose a, a major for their college today? Well, um, this is usually what happens if you talk to college because they, they usually switch three or four times. Um, sometimes they know and they start and they're good, but the first major is like the dream major, okay, and they get there, they're like, yeah, I'm going to do pre-med and microbiology, right? Like, it's that dream major, and then the next major is, okay, how can I make the most money with the least amount of work? I'm going to do that major. Okay, then the third major usually works like this. As a junior, you go into your aide's office and you say, excuse me, sir, um, how many credits um, do I have and and which subject do I have the most credits in? Okay, it looks like that'll be my major, right? And so you just try to get out. Okay, but but what if we looked at the supremacy of Christ, we looked at college through that worldview, and we said, wait a minute, God made me, knit me together in my mother's womb, gave me gifts, talents, and abilities, And what if we, as parents, shepherded our children to recognize that and and to not necessarily do what they want to do or what we want them to do, but say, hey, what talents and and gifts and abilities does my child have that God has given them for his glory? And, And then they go to college and they know what they're supposed to do because God made them like that for that. And they have a major that they can choose and go out and do awesome things for his glory. What about work? What was the reason for the last job that you chose? Okay, normally it was probably just to make money. But if you stopped and said, what talents and gifts and abilities has God given me? What, what purpose ha- has he put me here for? Maybe you're, you're stuck in your job right now and it maybe isn't the dream job, but, but God has put you there. So how can you use that platform to glorify him? What about marriage? What about the supremacy of Christ in marriage? Instead of saying, well, my spouse isn't satisfying me, so I'm out of here. What if we said, no, 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 we're together. And, and the Bible says that the marriage somehow mysteriously shows the gospel to the lost and dying world. What if I saw my marriage as a platform to show the riches of Jesus Christ to the lost and dying world? What if I said, I'm going to love Shannon like Christ loved the church so that my coworkers and my neighbors and my friends can see Jesus? Well, what if, what if we decided to make our marriage a platform for the supremacy of Jesus rather than something that will supply our needs and our desires? So you can take every category and filter it through the supremacy of Christ and ask yourself, why did I choose this major? Why am I working this job? What is my marriage doing to lift Jesus up? And, and you may think, well, what about what I want to do? You should be rest assured in the fact that when you do it this way, 
It's so much better than when you think you're going to do it for your glory and for what you want to do. Because remember, he made the world. He's creator. We're creation. And when we follow what he has designed for us, it's normally for his glory and our good. And man, I have never been more satisfied when I've been in the will of God doing what I believe he put me on this earth to do. Never have I been more satisfied than living for Jesus. And that's why I always say Christianity is not a duty religion. It's more a delight. Man, the, the, the goggles have fallen off, right? We can see the world the way it's supposed to be. We, we were made by God and for God, and, and we have a purpose to accomplish on this earth. It's an incredible truth. And, and so I want to challenge you today. Have you had a time where you've come to Jesus? Have you had a time where you've placed your faith in him? I love how Romans 3 verse 23 summarizes that it. it says we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And, and if God is going to be just, he has to punish our sin. Um, but what he does is he sends Jesus as our substitute. Jesus took on our sin and God poured out his wrath on Jesus. And this is what verse 26 says, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Like, the wisdom of God. He's just in that he punishes sin. He's the justifier in that he declares us righteous. An incredible truth. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So as we wrap this all up, I I just want to ask you a question. What is your worldview? How do you look at the world? Where does the supremacy of Christ fit into that worldview? Ask yourself that. And as we close um, for a time of invitation, I want to I remind you, who am I? You're the crowning glory of God's creation. Why are you here to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ? What is wrong with the world? Sin and wickedness has separated us from God. How can it be fixed through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ? Let's close with a word of prayer.